The Time Traveling Robots in Space is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcasts. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. The Time Traveling Robots in Space Podcast starts now. It's Wednesday, July 25th, and welcome to another Galactic Netcast. This is the Time Traveling Robots in Space, number 40. From Wausau, Wisconsin, I'm Dave Nelson, alongside Glendale, California's model citizen, Master Paul Swickard. Mr. Dave Nelson, how are you, sir? Good. Now, somebody has to explain what's written here next to your name on the document. Is this from last week? I am... No. Last week, if you recall, was the bus infestation. Oh, that's right. So, in this... (laughs) In this week's... This is the first installment of a segment I like to call Criminal Front or Legitimate Business. So, (laughs) and this week, I am giving you a place called The Battery. And you can actually look this up, and I'm kind of cheating a little bit. It's technically in Burbank, but in my mind, close enough. Okay. It's in, you know, whatever. But go to their website, and I'm told that they deal in nothing but batteries. Just batteries. That's all they do. That's what they do. It's called the Battery Hut. It has painting of a battery hut, and below that, a caption for all of your battery needs. Um, if you look in, so there's a Del Taco right next to it, and my wife and I have driven through that Del Taco. And if you look in the back, the whole back area is razor wired. Like they are really worried about somebody coming into the battery hut and getting the best of it. So we were postulating that this is either a, a some sort of secret protection program for like you know the United States Marshal Service, or it is you know dealing meth in the back or something. Well, batteries are kind of spendy, so I can see it being a high value target for um, people that steal things. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, if you are ever in the Glendale Burbank area and want your batteries, I have the place for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for that update. I'm looking Please. forward to the second installment of Criminal Front or Legitimate Business. All right. Uh, moving, there are many. moving across the screen from the small D next to the big D, as in Denton, Texas, it's Miss Anessa Moyens. How you doing, Anessa? I'm doing great. <laughs> My head is lighter. Yeah, let's so, talk yeah. about that. For the, the video participants, people may notice that your hair looks a little bit different. Why is that? I got my hearted. I got a haircut. You're hearted. <laughs> hearted? I'm hearted. You herded some cattle? You heard me. Because you're from Texas? Yes, yes I did. <laughs> I'm from Texas. We all have cows here. So. Our, no, I got a haircut. It so. looks cute. Looks very cute. Good job. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> See, now you can handle the time travel robots in space better because your hair, your head is lighter. You can move around faster. You, it is. you can maneuver better. <laughs> I can escape. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, welcome to the show. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about time travel, robots, and space. In that order, 
in science fiction and fact. We run down a couple of stories from each topic, and then we do the picks. That's the, uh, the, the movies that we've seen, the TV shows we're watching, whatever. And then we do the question of the week. And for our audio subscribers, if you'd like to join us as we record the show live, we can stream it, or we do stream it on Spreecast.com. So just follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, and you'll be notified as to when that's going to happen. By the way, we've had a lot of Twitter, new Twitter followers in the last couple weeks. So uh, welcome aboard the crazy train that is Galactic Netcasts. Uh, One Mm -hmm. more thing before we start for our Spreecast viewers... Go ahead, and if you want to pipe in on something during the show, type it into the chat room or submit it where it says comment or question. And one more thing before we start the show, one more piece of business. Just hang on. Uh, You can purchase live reads during our podcasts. It's like a commercial, but a really, really cheap commercial. Only $10. Just go to galacticnetcasts.com slash advertise. Fill out a short form, submit your payment through PayPal, and we will read your message, not only on this podcast, but also on the alien invasion. So, let's get started. Sector 1, time travel. All right, Jason Horn, creator of Ninja Soar webcomic. Have you guys, either of you guys heard of Ninja Soar webcomic? No. Uh, no. Sounds like a cross between Ninja and Dinosaur. Gotcha. Okay, so like Ninjasaur. Ninjasaur. Like Ninjasaur. Like yeah, Zor. not the way I said it, because that's not right. Ninjasaur. Anyways, Jason Horn has set up a Kickstarter campaign to help fund the printing of his new illustrated kids' novella about time travel. It's called Catherine the Chrononaut, as in, what's, what's, that, what's the chrono for, Anessa? You're smarter than both of us. Chrono is... A uh, time traveler. Yeah. It's like an, you have astronauts that go out into space, and you have chrononauts, and there's another name, but I forget. Because there's actually a story that I read that had chrononauts. Okay. And um, that was probably going to be my pick one of these weeks. <laughs> but, but chrono is short for chronometer yeah. or cr- chronometer or something like that? Like chronological. Oh! Time linear. There you go. <laughs> All right. And Dave's back. Welcome back, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> Catherine and the, Chrono- the Chrononaut is an all-ages novella that seeks to introduce kids to advanced scientific theories in a fun, entertaining manner. Catherine O'Reilly is a smart, idealistic, idealistic sixth grader who decides to use her science fair project to declare that she will dedicate her life to someday creating time travel. She announces to the world that her future self will arrive the day of the fair to demonstrate the scientific breakthrough she will eventually make. Can one science fair change the world, especially if future Catherine doesn't show up? Well, you can find out by uh, helping Mr. Uh, Horn, Mr. Jason Horn, fund his book through Kickstarter. And uh, in the research for his book, he looked into the real science that could make time travel possible someday, such as the ever-popular string theory. And uh, with the help of her parents, her best friend Holly, and her grumpy old science fe- teacher, Catherine learns that inspiring her classmates 
could just have or could have just as much impact as actually creating time travel. So if you'd like to help fund Catherine the Chrononaut, uh, you can click on the link in the show notes to um, his Kickstarter page. So are you guys interested in this, even though that you're not kids? Do you think this is something that you would like? Or let me rephrase, rephrase that. If you were a kid, would this be something that you'd be interested in? If I had access to it, then I would probably check it out anyway, even though I'm not a kid. Paul Swickard? <laughs> um, absolutely, I would check it out if I were a child. Uh, I may check it out anyway, so bite me, all you ageist people, <laughs> so on and so forth. So, um, I, I'm, I, I, I'm interested. The story. I'm interested. Okay, go ahead, Paul. I was just, uh, there's one line in here that I don't quite understand, and I guess I pose this to the group. Um, are sixth graders idealistic? Well, you know what I mean? She, like, she is. <laughs> Oh, right, but how <laughs> is my question. Is that even possible for a sixth grader to be idealistic? Well, she's she has lofty goals. I mean, she proclaims to the world <laughs> that she is going to invent time travel. Wouldn't that make you an idealistic person if you if you if that was if you set out to that for that to be your goal? Having hung around a lot of kids. Uh uh. <laughs> They, they, don't, they generally don't have those kind of goals in mind. Well, I mean, it's. I'm sure it's. It's. It's not. She is not the norm. She is the. She. Ex, she's the expect. Ex, what's the word I'm looking for? Ex, exception. Thank you. Exception to the rule. I can she's see an outlier is what you're saying. I can see Anessa being that. That 11 year old <laughs> kid who declares to the world that she's going to invent time travel. Anessa? Yes. Okay. That's totally you. Is that you, Anessa? Is this your <laughs> life story? That's pretty much my life story, except I wanted to be an archaeologist. So it's kind of like traveling in time. <laughs> I yeah. said, you know what? In first grade, I said that in, I said that I wanted to be a paleontologist when I grew up. And the teacher had no idea what that meant. She had thought I made wow. it up. I also <laughs> wanted to be a paleontologist. It, it kind of bounced back and forth between archaeology and paleontology, but I think the archaeology was more of... Um, I, I blame Indiana Jones <laughs> right. for that one, but paleontology, I really liked dinosaurs and dinosaur bones, and I thought it'd be really awesome to go on digs. And um, I wanted to be a DJ... There you go. <laughs> Goal accomplished. Okay, I failed it, at mine. Now, not to not to go completely off the time travel topic, but okay, Dave, you want it? Is that true? You knew from a very young age that you wanted to be a DJ. Yes, I wanted to be a DJ from a very very young age, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's a good thing. Knowing goals, no, knowing I had that goal at such an early age, or did I have low expectations? Because it's. It's nothing that I haven't wanted to do anything else in my life. I have, except for maybe do some writing. But I can't see myself as a writer, as a career, or for something that I would do the rest of my life. I can see being in radio or being in some kind of entertainment field as something I would do, but not writing. And it's, I haven't wanted to do anything else. 
All right. All right. Some people cool. just know what they want to do. Yeah. That was so not me. Like, I... <laughs> crap, I still don't really know. I'm just making it, Same man. <laughs> yeah, how you feel, Paul? I want to be a podcaster. How do I make that happen, Dave? Well, I think that you're already a podcaster. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you've got the 10 worst time travel movies ever. So what's at number one? Got it. No, well, this is this is actually, it's reversed. So we can think of this as number 10. Uh, this movie is called Timeline. And if you're not familiar, it is based on a Michael Crichton uh, book where uh, essentially these group of scientists travel back to the medieval era and have, are having to uh, survive. Um it is actually it was directed by Richard Donner and it stars Paul Walker and Jared Butler and Billy Conn. All right. That familiar to anybody? Yes, I do Please. remember that. I think I saw it once, but I'm not sure. See, I didn't mind it that bad, but anyway, it just okay, fine. Uh number we'll say number nine. Uh Star Trek Generations. I know you've seen that. Yes. Now, and Dave, yeah, the, does this belong here? Well, okay, I have a problem because there's no real honest-to-goodness time travel in this movie because they go into the Nexus, both Captain Kirk and Captain Picard go into the Nexus. They're not really t- traveling in time. So I, I have my doubts for this to be on this actual list. Um it's not a bad movie. Maybe I'm biased because I'm a huge Trek fan. Okay. That, uh, that, I actually agree with you. I don't think, like, I mean, there are a lot, there are many worse time travel movies than Star Trek Generations, if you can call it a time travel movie at all. Uh, number eight, Austin Powers in Goldmember. <laughs> Anybody seen that? I can say I've never seen... Austin Powers and Goldmember. Oh, man. Have you seen any of the Austin Powers movies? I saw the first one. Okay. Yeah, it's basically he has to travel back to the 70s. Uh, and it, it, that movie's pretty bad. Now, this, this next one, this one is, you know, pretty cool. Uh, Time Cop 2. Oh, two. Did you know that there was a sequel? No. Yeah, right. Did you know that there was a sequel? This is a direct-to-DVD no, I... sequel, ladies and gentlemen. And it is called, <laughs> in, you know, colon, The Berlin Decision. And I, I love this premise. I actually think it's a pretty decent premise. You know one of the biggest tropes in moviedom with all, all, all these time travel plots is the idea that you want to go back and kill Hitler, Right. We've seen it all the time. You want to go back and kill Hitler, see what happens. So this movie is based around this agency who polices time, stopping an assassination attempt on Hitler. And this guy, the guy who is supposedly supposed to kill Hitler, is painted to be the bad guy, and the time travel people are trying to stop it. Now, Jean-Claude Van Damme was not in this one, right? No, this was. If you let you folks have to see this cover, like it's just it's awful. Like it, it just. Oh man. Did you ever? I, I, did I you ever see the time? The it. did you ever see the Time Cop TV show? Because there was a TV show too. No, I did not. 
that's a, that's hilarious. I didn't. That would actually make a pretty cool TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was pretty good. All right. All right. Uh, moving on. Next on our list: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. If you recall, <laughs> this is the time where the, this is the time in which they go back in time to feudal Japan in order to stop, like overthrow and overlord. Uh, I can, you know, I have the strength of character to say that I have never seen this film. I haven't either. Anessa? Yeah. I have, but I've actually, I, I forgot that it existed, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good sign that it's a bad movie. <laughs> you blanked it out yeah. of your mind. I, I completely blocked it out of my memory. Thanks. Thanks for bringing it back. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, it's what I'm here for. Uh, next is a <laughs> is a movie, a 1982 film called Time Rider, The Adventure of Lynn Swan. Uh, excuse me, Lyle Swan. <laughs> Not the football player Lynn Swan. <laughs> so catch this for a premise. Lyle, a motorcycle champion, is traveling in the Mexican desert when he finds himself in the action radius of a time machine. This is the description as described by IMDb. I have no idea what an action radius is. So he finds himself one century back in the past between rapists, thieves, and murderers. I have no idea what this is about still. But that is the synopsis. That's it. I think I've seen the cover of this movie before. Like, I've seen it on Netflix, but it looks, the yeah, it looks cover like art looks really cheesy, so I haven't watched it. Right. Yeah, it looks like it's basically the outline, the silhouette of a motorcycle rider, and on his silhouette is a bunch of, like, cowboys. Okay. For those of you in the chat room, enjoy. Uh, the <laughs> next one Free Jack, a, a former film sack movie. Yes. Yeah. And just by virtue of the fact that it has, you know, Emilio Estevez and uh, Matt Mick Jagger, I, I can, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, wait, here. wait a second. Did you almost call him Matt Jagger? No, I said Mick. But you almost said Matt Mick. Jagger. Anessa, did you, did he almost say Matt Jagger? Um, I didn't think so, but... Maybe I just didn't catch it. <laughs> well, is there a, does Matt Jagger even exist? Like, is that a person? That's that's mix. That's mix, brother. That never accomplished anything. He just worked the factory. I'm Matt Jagger. <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about my brother. He, he Leave me alone. Get no satisfaction. Yes, we are brothers, and yes, he does. He's a rock star, and I'm working here in the factory. So shut up. All right. Uh, this movie is described as bounty hunters from the future transport a doomed car, race car driver to 2009 New York, where his mind will be replaced with that of a dead billionaire. And this movie was made in 1992. Do you remember how they portrayed night or 2009? Was it all fantastical no. and crazy? I would really love to know. Actually, that's that I. I didn't realize that they were trying to portray 2009. That's kind of awesome. Uh, this next one, I don't think anybody has ever seen like in the history of the world, but the premise sounds pretty cool. Um, this is called A Sound of Thunder. 
All right. So this movie is relatively recent, 2005, and stars uh, Edward Burns and Ben Kingsley, of all people. And here's the premise. A hunter, apparently one of a sport in the future is to go back in time and hunt dinosaurs. Like, that's what they do. Like, just for fun. And on one occasion, they, I guess, somebody screws up and uh, screws with evolution. And as a result, when they go back into the future, there are species that wouldn't have otherwise existed. Oh. And they're super, like, and they're super, like, crazy, like, cannibalistic and crap like that. Interesting. So I actually saw the I saw the preview on this. I'm like, huh, that sounds pretty cool. But apparently, people think it's awful. <laughs> okay, so Brad and uh, Brad in in the chat room, Brad from uh, Alien Invasion says that it's a crap retelling of a Bradbury tale. Interesting. Oh, okay. I guess that He's makes calling sense. Calling it rubbish. Rubbish. It's rubbish. rubbish. Says Matt rubbish. Jagger. Rubbish, good sir. That's something Matt Jagger would say. <laughs> uh, for those not keeping track, this is number two. Uh, this movie is called Just Visiting, and it's all, it stars Jean Reno. And uh, essentially, it's a night in the future, in present day, you know. I think it's New York uh, with Christina Applegate. And, you know, it's all the tropes that you might expect. Oh, I do not understand what this mystical box is that you have transporting you. <laughs> all that kind of crap. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Okay. And last but not least, The Claim is the number one bad movie, uh, the time travel movie, is The Black Knight. Martin Lawrence, right? One, Martin Lawrence, yep. He goes back to time, again, medieval times, and is portraying, you know, all. it's Martin Lawrence in the past, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. I forgot that movie existed, too. <laughs> right, and he's doing his thing, being Martin Lawrence, and, uh, yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> you're in the black. You're you're doing your thing. That's re- really all you can say about it. So, yeah, that at least according to some, this is the top ten worst time travel movies ever. All right, watch them if you dare, and we'll put the links, uh, the link for the list in the show notes of the podcast. All right, good job, Paul. Before we move on to robots, uh, we would like to know what you have thought. You know, how many of those movies have you seen? And do you think they deserve to be on that list? Or is a, um, what was the word they used for uh, kids? Idealistic. Or do you think that a sixth grader can be idealistic? Let us know. We would like your opinion. You can email galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. We have a voicemail number. And the area code is 805-328-3966. 805-328-3966. Or uh, let's see, what else? We have forum sections on, on the website or reach out to us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. And uh, leave us feedback. All right. Robot time. Sector 2. Robots. All right, let's see. I have the first story, as always. Um, now that the uh, screenplay adaptation is complete, the process of casting for Steven Spielberg's film adaptation of the book Robopocalypse, a former pick, by the way, of mine, uh, has begun. And it looks like the director has his eye 
on Chris Hemsworth. Now, I hate how they have that written. He has his eye on Chris Hemsworth. It's like he's trying to pick him up or something. I'm like, who doesn't have their eye on Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I do not safely say I do not have my yeah, eye on Chris I don't Chris either. Hemsworth. I don't either. I think you're Shame. you're speaking about the ladies at NASA. Okay. <laughs> I'm in the minority here. Yes. All right. According to Deadline, Spielberg has already secretly met with the Thor star. So he's got his, his eye on, on Chris Hemsworth, and they've secretly met. They've had a rendezvous. I, dude, no. <laughs> so uh, what you're saying is I'm the only one who laughed when I saw Chris Hemsworth shirtless in Thor. Oh, you laughed? That's awesome. <laughs> I did. I did. Just by virtue of the fact, I'm like, that's just stupid. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to No, it's real. okay. No, I, I like when, this, when, when the show gets derailed. It's awesome. All right. So, <laughs> um, and although no official offer has been made, the director has decided that he would be perfect uh, as the leading man in the film. There is one main character in Robopocalypse, and I think that's what he's going to cast him for. He's like a soldier that uh, he kind of, uh, the war is relived through this soldier's eye kind of thing. Uh, Drew Goddard from Cabin in the Woods, World War Z, and Cloverfield wrote the screenplay for Robopocalypse, which is based on the book by Daniel H. Wilson about a hostile artificial intelligence that was developed by the U.S. government and becomes a virus that gets downloaded into every piece of AI-controlled technology on the planet, leading to a worldwide robot uprising. Word has it that Spielberg was so enamored with the book, it would have been cool. It would have been funny if he was enamored with Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> that uh, you're reading a lot. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's hard not to l- read into this when all these crazy words are just bandied about. All right. So word has it that Spielberg was so enamored with the book that he was already storyboarding and designing and had Goddard adapt the pages as Wilson was turning them into his publisher. So Spielberg had already bought the rights, purchased the rights to Robopocalypse before Dan even published the book. Before... As he was turning the pages into his publisher, he was storyboarding the thing, and he had his screenwriter writing the screenplay for this. How awesome is that? Uh, All right. Good on him, I guess. Yeah. And apparently, Steven Spielberg hasn't actually directed a movie for a very long time, so this will be his first... This will be his going back to the director's chair for a long... What am I trying to say? It's his return. First time in a long time. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Robopocalypse is slated. What's that? Do we know? When was the last time he directed anything? Well, let's go to Wikipedia, shall we? And look up Steven Spielberg. Is that with a PH or a V? It's a a V. (laughs) Okay. All right. Steven Spielberg. Here, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it myself. I'll just sit back and relax. Yeah, Anessa, <laughs> just, just, you know, 
Warhorse. Okay. When was that? Warhorse. That and was. He had a hand. He had. That was last year. Um, and then there's the Adventures of Tintin, which he technically directed. Um, that being an animated movie. And time before that was the Crystal Skull, which you know, good on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So not the most active director, but. Since he's so passionate about the story, I could see him doing a really good job with this. Especially with he he does pretty well with this type of story. Stories that take place in the future about future technology. Because didn't he wasn't AI his film, the movie AI? I hated that movie. I didn't like it at all. It was boring. I liked it. Yeah. But that's because well, you're a soft. That's because I'm what? Softie. I'm a softie. Okay, yeah. I did uh, tear up a little softie. bit during that movie. Yeah, I did. Hey, I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> I'm not going to deny my softness. It's okay. okay. I embrace my. No, I know you won't. I embrace my child. Why I'm calling it out, you know, publicly. <laughs> Thanks for. All right. Okay, Paul. So, again, Robopocalypse (laughs) slated for release April 24th, 2014. They are really scheduling movies far ahead these days, it seems like. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Like, they're really, I don't know, they're really far out there. I mean, I guess they kind of have to with giving these people schedules nowadays, but still, these people, these creepers, folks. I think the bigger budget films, you almost have to. Just to reserve, for a couple of reasons, to reserve a good spot on the summer schedule and to get all the money together for the film, too. You have to get all the backers, the producers, the, you know, the people funding the films. You have to get them together as well. So, All right. All right. Paul, your turn. Yes, sir. Ah, <laughs> uh, robots. Uh, this is one of those stories that it reminds me of how awesome it is that we're doing a show about time travel robots in space. Um, leave it to Japan. We all knew this was coming. Um, uh, w- ladies and gentlemen, we have fembots. And, like, real fembots, too. Like, <laughs> that, that would be David <laughs> clapping in the background. Do they have... Now, so, the first question I have is, do these fembots have guns strategically no. placed on their bodies well actually i don't know because they're huge like they're gigantic women like <laughs> like not even like uh you know amazon type women that you would normally expect they're huge anyway okay let's back up uh tokyo is attempting to open a new restaurant or rather there's a new restaurant opening in tokyo and there are two gigantic women driving through traffic as part of this restaurant this this robot themed restaurant so if you look if you look at these photos you'll see exactly what i mean like they're they're i don't know three times the size of normal people maybe four or five um but yeah it is advertising a restaurant that offers quote-unquote cabernet dances from uh from giant robots they're look like plastic women and the best part 
Well, I don't. I, I can't even say that. I don't know what the best part of this story is because it's amazing. Um, these robots, these women, are being controlled by other real women who are also dressed like Cabernet type people. So, and the customers are paying these women who are controlling the robots to do certain things. Wow. So that's the deal. Yeah. Like, I, I, I swear to God, I would not have believed this had I not seen it. Like, just, just, oh my gosh. There's look, so much, there's so look, much to say about this. I, I don't know where to right. start. And they're literally, they were driving, like, they're driving down, they were taking these women, these robot women, and putting them on the bed of these flatbed type trucks and driving them through Tokyo. That's what they wanted. Like and they don't they don't have like they only the top part of them looks real and even then it's obvious you know it's very obviously plastic but the bottom part of them is like completely robot looking they okay it's just all, they're on rollers or something the photos the photos of them on the flatbed truck being driven around Tokyo they look like <laughs> that contraption that um. Uh, what's your face from Alien? Um, what's the main character? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ripley. Riley. 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 Was it Riley or Rip- I Ripley? Can, I totally see that. Ripley, I think. Okay, Ripley it's was Riley that uh, Ripley was in that contraption at the end of what Aliens, uh, killing killing the alien, and that's what these these look like. <laughs> they do. You're absolutely right. <laughs> So get this, the guy, uh, this restaurant cost uh, 10 billion yen to open, which is the equivalent of 83 uh, million pounds. So in, you know, in uh, in United States dollars, you roughly doubled that. So you're looking at probably 100, 150 million dollars. Jesus. To open a restaurant. Yeah. It's, you know. Folks, this is fantastic, and you've got to check this out in the show notes and look at these photos. And there are lots of these photos. Uh-huh. Like, like that's the majority of this article. Um, yeah, yep. And th- the cost to enter is a flat fee of three uh, three thousand yen, which again is the equivalent of uh, twenty five pounds. So it's basically you the cover charge for this restaurant is about fifty bucks. Okay, and you you know. They serve sushi and things like that. And the article actually goes into a little bit of the quality of the food, which I thought was hilarious. But I guess you should be talking about that as it's a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the food is not its main attraction. Okay. <laughs> I understand why they're doing this. Because from what, the, from what you've said, Paul, it sounds like it's very expensive to open a restaurant in Tokyo. So what he's doing With is he's robot women, yeah, probably. He, well, <laughs> well, you almost have to stand out amongst the crowd, right? You have to have an attraction, and this is his attraction. This is his way of getting people through the door and making yen. Got to make the yen in Tokyo, right? Uh, make it rain. Yeah, raining yen. I, th- I think we've lost Anessa. I'm here. No, she's here. Okay, all right. I thought you were just so disgusted that you just zoned yeah. out. You tuned out. I, I don't really have anything to add to this story. 
<laughs> so I'm just sitting here in silence. It's pretty self-explanatory. Giant women robots yeah. being controlled by other women. And what are the things that they... Dance. What? So the, the giant robot women simulate acts that a normal woman would do? Is that what you were saying earlier? I, you know what? The article didn't specify. <laughs> so uh, I would guess that it is mostly dancing type stuff. Okay, all right. I have no idea if the broad thing even comes off. Just, you know, let's just say what we're all thinking here. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it looked like, yeah. First of all, they only have a few actually real-looking lady parts. <laughs> so I'm guessing it's just dancing. Okay, all right. Well, you know what? Yeah, it's like, I, you would, folks, you would not want a lap dance from this thing. Like, it would kill you. <laughs> they, they do everything big in Tokyo. And this reminds me of that... This reminds me of that movie Pacific Rim that's coming out that is basically about these giant robots taking on these giant alien creatures. So it just goes in line with how they do it in Tokyo and Japan. They do things big. I guess so. Oh, wouldn't this make a great Godzilla movie? Yes. <laughs> yes. They are, they are preparing for the next attack of Godzilla. And they're going to defend Tokyo against Godzilla with giant women, giant robotic women. I would watch that freaking movie. Yeah. I'm ashamed to say it. Yep. All right, cool. That's awesome. I want to go there. Yeah. I want to be there. I know. <laughs> another reason to travel to Tokyo. Yes, exactly. All right. So there you go. The Time Traveling Robots in Space is brought to you by Audible.com. For you, the Galactic Netcast listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To go along with the theme of this podcast, may we suggest, and Anessa, you'll love this because it's a compilation. It's a bunch of short stories. It's called Timeless Time Travel Tales. Yes, this collection of tales, <laughs> written by some of science fiction's most esteemed authors, pays homage to one of the genre's most cherished, cherished story types, whether they're time-traveling stories that leap forward in time or slip into the past. Now, this collection includes such stories as Against the Current by Robert Silverberg, about a 57-year-old owner of a car dealership who goes backwards in time towards his birth, Alan M. Steele's story, The Observation Post, which takes place aboard a U.S. Navy blimp monitoring Soviet sea traffic around Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which encounters a group of time travel, time travelers, and you can kind of imagine what's going to happen there. They probably tell them about, about the future, and they actually stop the missile crisis from happening or something like that uh and genevieve genevieve valentine observes the detrimental effects of time travel on the timeline through the eyes of a seamstress whose wealthy patrons are obsessed with their time period costumes in bespoke bespoke um you can download your free audiobook today by going to 
audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcasts. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcasts for your free audiobook. And with your $14.95 monthly subscription fee, you'll get one free audiobook download per month, the ability to save 30% on additional purchases, free digital subscription to the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, and member-only special sales and promotions. And we thank Audible for their support of time-traveling robots in space. And did somebody say space? Did somebody say space? Space. I kept on clicking, and it wouldn't play. Damn it. (laughs) It worked. You're good. All right. So in the category of space, it may have had a relatively short run on the BBC back in the early 1980s, but the TV show Blake's Seven was a monster sci-fi hit at the time in England. It's taken a few decades, but it looks like Blake Seven might finally be coming back to life. A reboot is being shopped around by Georgeville Television with Casino Royale director Martin Campbell signed on to put the pieces together. Joe Pasaki of Heroes and CSI has been tapped to write the pilot. Set 700 years in the future, the original four-season run followed a small group of rebels battling against the massive Terran Federation and featured cool tech concepts and some pretty interesting themes for a low-budget sci-fi series. This isn't the first time or the first effort at a remake. British Net Sky One tried to get one off the ground a few years, few years ago, though it fell apart before making it to air. So, looks like uh, Blake Seven, they're making another attempt to bring it back to TV. Are you guys familiar with this show? I am not. No. I am familiar with Casino Royale, though. Well, that's good. Well, just to bring it back, I'm just Yeah, saying. no, no, no. <laughs> I, no, I'm I'm uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the show. I haven't seen full episodes and if you want to get familiar with the show, you're going to have to do some digging to find episodes because there's only a few right. that I could find on YouTube. Um they're not available on Netflix, they're not available on Hulu or even like Google Play. I didn't I didn't check out um iTunes. They might be available on iTunes, but I really doubt it. If it were, you, that would have been one of your first hits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm sure there's people listening to our podcast that are fans of this show. And, um, you know, since you are, you know, since I, I would love to hear from the fans of the show. Um, and let us know, you know, what makes it so great. I can see it, its appeal. It takes place 700 years in the future, and they're in space. So, you know, mm-hmm. in the future, in space, with space battles and cool guns and cool tech, I'm all aboard. So I'm looking forward to the possibility of a uh, reboot of Blake 7. And I could see them doing a very gritty, like, Battlestar Galactica feel, you know, with this kind of show. Was it specified as to whether it would be, like, just, on, would it be a television show on the BBC? Or is it, like... Or in the in the states, or a feature film, or was that no, clear at all? It didn't specify it, this. Yeah, this is all the information that I got, pretty much. I'm guessing that since it was a hit 
in the UK pretty much back in the 80s, that that's where it'll end up if this remake makes it to air. Okay. He's a great director. So that if if he's looking for uh, that project, then I would imagine that uh, that uh, it would probably it would do some good in his hands. Yeah, and we and we need a good space opera. You know that we don't have any on TV there now. Any I know. Yeah. So it's too bad too. And I feel like I, and I feel like what's it's um, the latest Star Trek. Whatever it was, the name is escaping me now. But it, I feel it kind of got short shrift in that regard. Like, I was hoping that it would get, like, you know, it could probably have done better if the show had just gone on a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, those first two seasons of the Star Trek Next Generation, they're kind of rough. Yeah. Like, they weren't very good. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. And there's been other shows since then, too, like Stargate Universe, I recently watched or rewatched mm-hmm. and that was an incredible show which ended way too soon only two seasons and um there's really been nothing since like Battlestar Galactica that was the last big you know in space type of show that was big sure all right let's hope it comes back what do you got paul i have a video game reference david I'm calling you David tonight. Do you mind? That's my name. <laughs> That's my name. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Wheatley, a character from Portal Yay! 2, a robot character from Portal 2. He is actually going to space, like for realsies. Mm. And uh, Valve, the, the company behind Portal 2, pointed this out. Um, they said that uh, the, well, I'll read the article. Wheatley, the orbed robotic companion from Valve's 2011 popular Portal 2, is flying aboard the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency's latest H2 transfer vehicle. That is a mouthful. Yeah, it is. Sheesh, the latest H2 transfer vehicle. And they have a name for it. Thank God they have shorthand. It's called the HTV3. <laughs> <laughs> And this particular vessel launched uh, last Friday to resupply the space station. And the character was etched into one of the containers. And so you can, you if you, uh, I'll check out this link. Uh, you can see the picture of Wheatley. And it said, and he's like, in space. And that's what it looks like. Oh, cool. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And Valve uh, made it a point to, you know, to actually call this out. He's like, and please note. That when we mentioned an anonymous tech at NASA, we weren't kidding. Uh, Valve explained in its blog, NASA is in no way officially endorsing secret laser engraving characters from Portal onto their spacecraft. Believe it or not, they do not officially endorse Portal 2, despite the fact that it's a really excellent game. That's I'll, off to you, Valve. I wonder if Valve shuffled some money their way, if they, if they paid for part of know. this. Maybe. You might I, have like it, a well, relative or something that works at NASA. Yeah. They know a that guy is, that knows a guy. Valve probably has enough notoriety that I'm sure somebody at NASA is a fan. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if money had changed hands or it was something. Like, it was. it's kind of obvious that they're trying to protect whoever it was that did this. Because <laughs> NASA, you know, it probably was just like, 
some some Joe Schmo NASA. I don't know if they have any Joe Schmo, you know, blue collar folks at NASA saying, "Hey, can I make this laser etching?" And you know, the boss saying, "Yeah, whatever." And then Valve, <laughs> you know, and then he takes pictures pictures of it, sends it to Valve, and Valve says, "Hey, this is awesome." And by the way, we, you know, it's it, we, it just happens. We yeah. have no particular employee name associated with this, but there you go. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, NASA's all NASA's all about private funding, so I wouldn't put it past them. Right. But they accepted some money from an unknown, undisclosed source. Because, <laughs> I mean, even something as small as this can't be that cheap, you know? Engraving the side of a spaceship has to be a little bit expensive. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's NASA. It's time. It's, you know, they have to actually go and do it. I'm sure the guy just did it on his own time and thought it would be awesome. And it is. Yeah. But yeah, they, they, again, pointed out specifically that NASA didn't actually, you know, this didn't go through some workflow pipeline saying, oh, where's the Wheatley engraving, you know, etching at? <laughs> well, I don't know, Frank. We got to check with billing and support. You I, know, I, is it. Been around corporate is, way too much. Is it me or. Is there a lot more space-related things happening in the news? It just we yes. we may not have spaceships going up, but it seems that space is a very busy place these days. Mm-hmm. No, maybe because I, it's getting more publicity. Yeah, somehow. like people be. are actually finding more more interest in, in space in general, whether it's traveling up there or um, like the giant moon <laughs> so i i think it's just getting more uh it's publicized more not necessarily that there's more happening it's just people are finally taking notice of what's going on and i think that nasa is doing a really good job in their marketing department which we have talked about on the show and there's all these private companies doing stuff you've got spacex doing stuff you got the um the the asteroid mining company i forget the name and you've got uh richard branson doing his thing so i think it's it's not just getting the word out and people being aware of it but it's actually more people making people aware of it sure yeah i i think there was a tipping point where nasa got more and more defunded and then uh then the private sector came up and tried to fill the fill the gaps there. I think that's when people started talking about it more. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got the big um, Mars lander here coming up in a couple in within a couple of weeks. So that's something that I'm sure that we'll be covering on this podcast. Sure. All right. Uh, did you know that you can listen to this show and the other Galactic Netcast, the uh, Alien Invasion, on Stitcher Smart Radio? via your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry phone, Android tablets, and the Nook. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone slash device. You can find it in your app store, or you can also go to stitcher.com slash galactic netcasts. And, of course, enter the promo code galactic netcasts. If you haven't checked it out yet, Stitcher recently launched their smart station feature, which helps listeners discover new content based on their listening activity and I did that. I checked out the new feature, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty accurate, too. It will pick things that are very similar to the things that you're already listening to. So check it out. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. All right. I know that on the dock, I'm first. 
but I would like one of you two to go first on uh, in picks. We're doing picks now. What's your picks? Okay. I am happy to go first. And I really hope that I haven't recommended this before. I may have, but you know what? It's good enough for doing it twice. The Last Starfighter. The, the movie. The Disney movie. Fantastic movie. If you... That's really all that if, I if, if, no, uh, if you have done this as a pick before, it's been a long time. It has been a long time. Um, for those of you who are unaware... Uh, the story is revolving around a kid who lives in a trailer park named Alex Rogan. It was this is a movie in 1984, and he is very good at a particular arcade game, like really, like kind of insanely good. And by the way, like the uh, the people from this trailer park will come all around to watch him play this and beat this game. Never happened, <laughs> ever in the history of ever. This has never happened. I can promise you this. Nobody ever does this and say, oh my goodness, this video game is awesome, and this is look at how good he is at this particular game. Anyway, um, this game is actually the backdrop for a training exercise, really, of, of for, for people to good, be good at actually doing what this video game portrays. So he is, it's essentially a recruiting tool for a space like Armada. And that's really where the story starts to uh, take off. He gets recruited. He goes up into this, you know, this armada of ships. You know, and then he goes through this whole thing of, does he want to do, you know, does he really want to do this? I'm just a kid in a trailer park kind of a thing. And, yeah, it goes on from there. This was actually one of the first films to use uh, computer-generated imagery ever, like next to Tron, really. Whoa. That's pretty cool. It is. It's a, it, I remember watching this like on the Disney Channel when I was really little, and that's one of my favorite movies growing up. I wonder how have you re, have you watched it recently? Uh, I don't think so. I, won- I don't recall seeing it recently. I wonder how it holds up. You know how lo- good it looks. You know compared to I'm sure anything else. I'm sure the graphics you know the actual cg is somewhat laughable mm-hmm. um but as you know as as far as the tone and stuff like that goes i think it would hold up just fine this we were talking about stargate universe earlier this mm-hmm. reminds me of how the character of eli uh became a member or became part of the stargate pro- program because he solved some like really hard like mathematical equation in a video game, and that's how they recruited him for the Stargate program. So, I, w- I wonder if there was a, I wonder if there was a Last Starfighter fan on the writing crew for uh, Stargate Universe. <laughs> I hope so. I'd yeah. like to think that you know the people who saw this were eventually inspired to you know go into entertainment or NASA or you know something fun. Cool. I'm going to have to check that out. It's been a long time. I haven't seen this movie in ages, probably since I was a lot younger than I am now. Anessa, have you seen The Last Starfighter? I have, but I was a kid then. We actually ended up playing some of the music as part of our halftime show in high school. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's cool. You guys were were a bunch of geeks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's so, that's awesome. Great. 
All right. Um, I'll go next, and then Anessa can go last. Um, my pick is Star Trek Radio Podcast. I think, to, to go along with uh, Paul's uh, statement earlier, I think I've talked about, if it hasn't been my pick, I've, I've talked about Star Talk Radio on this, on this podcast before. Um, but they had two recent uh, episodes called Packing to Mars, Parts 1 and 2. And uh, it was hosted by, of course, uh, the regular host of the show, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is the man. And uh, on these episodes, as his guest host, he had comedian Chuck Nice and NASA astronaut Mike Massimino, who is awesome. Um, Mike was the first astronaut to tweet from space. I remember that day. I remember his first tweet. Um, He worked on the Hubble telescope, space telescope. He got the Hubble to actually see right. He was the one that actually fixed the lens. As you guys may recall, when the Hubble first went up, the lens was like misshapen by like just a small amount, but it was small enough to affect the vision of the Hubble. He was the one that went back and fixed it. So Mike is pretty cool. Um, In these two episodes, the panel discusses the practical considerations for a manned mission to Mars. And they go into some serious stuff um, from psychological issues of spending two to three years uh, cooped up in a spacecraft to the science of protecting astronauts from from solar radiation. They talk about using water. They talk about using fecal matter to protect the astronauts from radiation because people forget that the Earth is protected by this big bubble. Once you're outside that bubble, you're susceptible to a lot of radiation. And um, without the proper protection, um, you can go sterile. And without the proper protection, they have to wait like for a certain time period to launch. They've got like a window that they can get to Mars safer than they would normally. Like the, it's something about the um, solar storms. Um, during some period, they're away from the Earth. In other periods, they're towards the Earth, and they have to wait until it's a period where the solar storms are away from the Earth. So they talk about protecting astronauts from solar radiation. Um, Neil gets the inside scoop on what a journey to Mars would need to succeed when he sits down with the author of the book, Packing for Mars, which is also the title of the podcast, uh, Mary Roach. Um, They learned about an actual device that turns human waste into plasticized radiation shield tiles. Interesting. Uh, the nutritional benefits of mouse stew. Mm-mm-mm. And which personality traits would fare best on a NASA Mars mission? Um, in episode two, they talk about um, going to the bathroom in zero gravity. Also, um, what's involved with sex in space. Can it be done? Um, what what the dynamic of relationships would be if you actually had couples go to space for any long duration, um, and actually, you know, producing offsprings on a place like Mars with different gravitational and all that stuff. You know, could a child actually come back from a, another planet and survive on Earth? Uh, they talk about all this stuff, and I highly recommend um, 
again, two episodes of Star Trek. I, I recommend that you subscribe, period. But uh, check out these two episodes specifically, Packing for Mars. It's part one and two. And we'll put the links in the show notes. And another thing that they brought up during this discussion was um, artificial gravity in space. I did not know this. You can produce artificial gravity by just propelling yourself into space. Like, the way that traditionally uh, uh, a mission to get to Mars would use gravitational pulls from the moon and then Mars. But if you actually had enough fuel to propel yourself the whole way, you can create gravity just by going. (laughs) Just by moving your spaceship through space, you create gravity. And I never thought about that. That's pretty cool. That's my pick. Well done. Good job, Dave. Thank you. One last pick. Anessa, what do you got? (laughs) I have Nazis at the center of the earth. Yes! (laughs) Already sold. Yes. (laughs) Um, So here's what uh, IMDb had to say. It says, uh, researchers in Antarctica are abducted by a team of mass stormtroopers. They're dragged deep underground to a hidden continent in the center of the earth. Here, Nazi survivors, their bodies, a horrifying patchwork of decaying and regenerated flesh, are planning for the revival of the Third Reich. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brad down in the, the chat room says, all hail Robo Hitler. Uh, yeah, so that's how it actually ties into this particular podcast, is the fact that they're working... Um, the people that they're abducting are scientists, and the ones that they can't use for furthering their research and um, whatnot to bring back Hitler, they basically use them for spare parts. So that's why, like, a patchwork of, of different um, regenerated and not so regenerated. Okay. So you'll see people with their skin ripped off and whatnot, mm. but. <laughs> So yeah, um, Robo Hitler comes out at the very end, and it's a big giant robot with um, Hitler's head. In a kind of reminds me of Futurama yes. with Nixon when he has Bender's body, and then he has um, the the other robotic body, like big. And... So yeah, Robo Robo Hitler. <laughs> um, yeah, that. So um, it's. I guess it's worth a view if you enjoy movies from Asylum. You know that they're high quality whenever yep. they're from the Asylum and they star Jake Busey. Um, oh, my God. And apparently this film is a mockbuster, which Asylum is known for doing. But normally Asylum does mockbusters of other pre-existing movies. So you've got, like, Transformers. They mocked that with Transmorphers. And then they did John Carter with Princess of Mars. Um, this one is actually mocking a PC game. Uh, Wolfenstein 3D, which shares the same story and characters of the undead zombies set to take over the world. Uh, the film goes as far to have Robot Hitler, the same enemy that may be found at the end of Wolfenstein 3D. And the story also shares similarities to the film Iron Sky and was once believed to be the source for it, or of its inspiration. So wow. There's <laughs> so this Nazis is... at the center of the earth. So this is stealing from a couple of different movies or a couple of different stories. Yes, it is. Um, I 
tried to figure out a way to make it work with um, alien invasion, but it doesn't have aliens. But it does have a UFO with uh, swastikas all over it. Sweet. <laughs> so it's it's a yep. pretty pretty awesome flick <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing. Now, Paul, did you see Iron? You did, did you see I'm Iron Sky, sure. Paul? Uh, no. Okay. No, I haven't seen it yet. I want to. It, I could have. They. I got. I'm on their mailing list, and I got a, a thing saying that they were going to show the film like maybe two weeks ago, but it was like on a Wednesday, some random day, and it's on the west side of okay. LA, so I couldn't. I couldn't do it. But yeah, I got. I got another email not too long ago from them. I know that like the blue the gray uh, release is uh, not too far away. Actually, like okay. they're like the. It's such a limited release that I think they wanted to they wanted to do it really close together, um, but I think let's see, yeah, it was I think this was sent maybe two days ago. No, this was today. I got an I got an email from the Iron Sky folks today. Wow, saying that yeah. Let's see, what did they say? They said that they were gonna release in more places. Okay, but it's all you know, theatrical distribution. I think they said San Francisco. Okay, they well. Said, What they say? Uh, they had one in San Francisco, one in Chicago, and one in Los Angeles. After that, the film will be rolled out in different cities, and you can actually ask for screenings. Oh wow! On, uh, at wherever, like I think they have they have one in. Let's see, looking down the list, they have one in Las Vegas. They have one in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Atlanta, Georgia, Louis, Louis, Louisville, Louisville, Texas. Does that sound familiar? Louisville, yeah. Louisville, Texas, and New it's York. It's down City. the street from me. Oh wow! So that's really the, that's in the DFL area. It's like 15 minutes away. Yeah. It's or DFW. About 15 minutes south of Denton, north of Dallas. August State confirmed. Dallas. It's going to happen. Good Sweet. luck. All right, but if you can't wait for that, of course. Nazis at the center of the earth available. What's the best part of NASA? People can see this very easily, right? On Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. It's in my queue, baby. It's in my queue. I'm watching it this weekend. <laughs> it's happening. Sweet. Gary Busey here, or uh, not Gary Busey. Jake. Uh, Jake Busey, here I come. <laughs> see, see, uh, uh, um, former. <laughs> What's that movie series with the aliens? Um, with who? The yeah. I believe you mean Predator. The bugs? No. Um, oh, Starship Troopers! Jake, Starship Troopers! Starship Troopers! Yes, he was in Starship Troopers. So I'm good. I'm I'm glad to see that he's he's moved on. Unlike some Starship Troopers people. <laughs> Casper Vandy. Yeah, Casper. <laughs> Casper. All right. Good job, guys. Again, to review, our picks were The Last Starfighter, Nazis at the Center of the Earth, and Star Talk Radio Podcast episodes, Packing for Mars, Part 1 and 2. All right. One more thing before we get out of here. Uh, question of the week. You guys ready for this? Let's go. All right. Sure. Listen carefully. If you could... If you could go to one fictional world from science fiction, which one would it be and why? Paul, you're first. I, I know I'm going to get some heat from this. 
I would go to Pandora from Avatar. Not they have another Pandora, a fictional planet on in Borderlands, and that that place is a friggin' wasteland. Like you would never want to go there. But yeah, the the uh, Pandora from Avatar. That I would absolutely love to see that place just because it seems like one of those amazing places that you would just want to like explore all the time. Plus, you they have an interesting way of of getting intimate. It seems. <laughs> I didn't go there. <laughs> well, I did. Thanks, Dave. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. This is nothing. To, you asked what planet. This has nothing to do with like the the Navi. Well, did you see? Did you see my answer? Did you see my answer? I, I saw his answer. I was going to wait for all this, but obviously you want to go. So, what was your answer, Dave? Let's get. Yeah, to what that. was your answer, Dave? My answer is Ryza, the pleasure planet from Star Trek, for obvious reasons. All right. Not obvious. Why, David? Well, it's Why? called. The I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this planet, Dave. It's called the Pleasure Planet. <laughs> okay, so okay, basically, the population of Ryza—they're very horny all the time, and they carry around a statue. If they give you the statue, you're getting it on with this person. It's—it's. It's, you're gonna—you're good to go. All clear. <laughs> so that's where I would go. Riza from Star Trek. <laughs> and the interesting right. the interesting part of Riza, they have a very intricate and complicated weather control system. It's a very, very wet, dark, stormy planet normally, but they control the weather. And that was a part of an episode on Star Trek the Next Generation. Or was it was it a Deep Space Nine episode? Might have been a Deep Space Nine episode. Right. <laughs> Keep going. No, I'm done. I'm You're I'm done. To, I'm done. I'm done. I hate to interrupt this train of thought. Are you guys familiar with Ryza? Uh, Star Trek from Star yes, Trek I, episodes? Well, I've never been there. Yes, I've seen I saw the Star Trek episode. I like the one with uh I think it was called Shore Leave. Probably it wasn't called Shore Leave, but Picard was going on Shore Leave. And he wanted to um, study the architecture, or um, the um, he was into archaeology, so he wanted to study an archaeology dig on Ryza on a pl- on the pleasure planet. He was going there for archaeology. That's typical Picard for you. Yeah. All right, Anessa, what do you got? <laughs> Does it have to do um, with sex? <laughs> No, not that I know of. Um, I actually had I thought about it, and I would like to go to Omicron Persei Eight in Futurama. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> nice. Because um, the the main reason why I want to go there is one you'd be near like a whole different sun or different star. Um, they have a nebula nearby, so I think that would be really cool to see in the sky with like your naked eye. And it has three moons apparently, and that would be kind of trippy too to see more than just like our moon orbiting in the sky. So there's no no sex statues or anything <laughs> involved in in my choice. So that you know. Of. 
yeah. <laughs> that I know of. Episodes are I'm still not going to get it in. Yeah, they are. You haven't so. been. You, they're you, they're you, not there yet. You've so. not. You've not been there, so you have no idea what it's like. It could be crazy. No, but I know that they're watching. They're watching TV shows from like our century because they're a thousand light years away, and that's how long it took for our signal to get there. So. <laughs> so they're watching. I love Lucy. Yeah. Well, there's an episode where they made people reenact the uh, finale for Allie McBeal. <laughs> well, that kind of... Because <laughs> something happened that interrupted the signal, so they came all the way over here just to find out what happened. <laughs> okay. Interesting. I'll have to watch that sometime. All right. So we would like to know where you would like to go as far as uh, sci-fi worlds from sci-fi TV. Let us know by um, calling our voice mail, mail number, 805-328-3966, or emailing us, galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. And don't forget, subscribe.galacticnetcasts.com to subscribe to the Time Traveling Robots in Space individually or the Mega Feed, which will get you two fantastic shows, Time Traveling Robots in Space and the Alien Invasion Podcast. All right. It's kind of funny. It was kind of funny that Anessa picked her pick was the uh, Nazis at the center of the earth because we got some feedback about that this week. It was just kind of weird coincidence, weird timing. So this is from Peter R. He um, got in touch with us through the website, galacticnetcast.com. Love the whole galactic, uh, galactic, galactic netcasts podverse. I like that. Um, you all do such a good job recommending Netflix movies. I thought I would share one I just saw. Nazis at the center of the earth. It is so bad, it is good. Why? Question mark. You may ask. Two words. Cyborg Hitler. Plus it has that blonde guy from Starship Troopers in it. And quasi-zombie Nazis. Keep up the good work. I always look forward to your next podcasts. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Thank you. I like it. Yeah. And we were, dude, we were right up his alley. Yeah. We know what's up. I know. We, (laughs) Peter and us, same wavelength. On the same level. Yeah. That's how it goes. All right. So, uh... (laughs) That's it, guys. Um, you know what? We haven't done this for a long time. Let's get out. Let's um, publicize our Twitter handles. You guys cool with that? Oh, sure. Sure, why not? Let's go around the room. Vanessa, what's your Twitter handle? It is at Moyens, M-O-O-Y-E-E-N-S. At Moyens. Okay. Paul, it's P. Swickard, right? It is P. Swickard. That's P-S-W-I-C-K-A-R-D. All right. And I just changed mine. Uh, I have a new one. Mine is that Dave Nelson. At that Dave Nelson. So Why'd you do that? Jeez. Because hey, I'm man. trying to, that to me. trying to um, make all of my like online persona the same. Because on Google Plus, I'm Dave Nelson. On um, Facebook, I'm Dave Nelson. 
So I just wanted to, and, and on these podcasts, I'm Dave Nelson. So I just wanted to make it all the same. So I chose that Dave right. Nelson. I suppose that's acceptable. Better be. All right, so that's going to do it for this Galactic Netcast, Time Traveling Robots in Space, number 40. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, guys, final thoughts. First up, Paul Swickard. Stay classy, Glendale. No, say the thing that you always say. Be excellent to each other. Okay, you can make up new ones, but always conclude it with the one that you always say, because that's a tradition. (laughs) Anessa, final thought. Drink lots of water. (laughs) (laughs) Especially during this hot month of July. That's good advice. Have a great week. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Leave your hailing frequencies open and scanners on full because another Galactic Netcast will be approaching your coordinates soon. For more information, go to galacticnetcasts.com.